Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. Big Country are a Scottish rock band formed in 1981. The height of the band's popularity was in the early to mid-1980s, although they have retained a cult following for many years since. The band's music incorporated Scottish folk and martial music styles, and the band engineered their guitar-driven sound to evoke the sound of bagpipes, fiddles, and other traditional folk instruments. The band's classic lineup between 1981 and 2000 consisted of Stuart Adamson, Bruce Watson, Tony Butler, and Mark Brzezinski. Following Adamson's death in 2001, the band reformed in 2007 with the surviving members. Up next on Celebs Vant, we've got Tony Butler, Bruce Watson, and Mark Brzezinski from the band Big Country. So guys, where do we find you in the world? How are you doing and what's happening in your lives? I'll yep. kick off. Uh, yeah, Barrett, I, I'm in a, a little part of the English countryside called Cornwall, which is very remote and very old-fashioned and very lovely and fresh air and all the things I've craved in life. And... Uh, I live down here with my my wife and my grandchildren, my children, and uh, and a very very good local pub. Uh, Bruce, where do we find you? A leafy suburb of London called Scotland, <laughs> and I'm in a place called Dunfermline, okay. which is the ancient capital of Scotland. Mark, I've kind of gone full circle. Um, I'm in my house I was born in, oh, wow. which is in Berkshire. Uh, but it it's, sadly comes under the Barrow Slough, but it's actually nearer Windsor, so I upgrade myself to being near Windsor. It's a okay. nicer thing to say. <laughs> Good <Okay>. upgrade. <laughs> okay, cool. So now, guys, let's take it back to, I know it's a number of years, so the hybrid story of the band Big Country. So first of all, where does the name come from? How did that come about? And the journey of Big Country from the 80s through to the present. Oh, wow. How long have you got? Oh, I, I, can, can just, I can kind of start that one. Um, the name Big Country, um, our, our, our singer, guitar player, songwriter, Stuart Adamson, came up with the idea of calling the, the, the group Big Country. We, we had a, a couple of other guys in the band before Tony Mark joined. Um, that lasted about a, a year. <clears throat> we did a couple of gigs. Um, we went on tour with uh, Alice Cooper, um, for a couple of nights, which was a, a disaster area, and then Tony and Mark came along and it basically saved saved the day, you know. But Tony and Mark was in a band that supported Stuart and his previous band, which was called the Skids, and Tony and Mark's band were called On the Air. So they 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 all knew each other, and that's how it kind of came about, I guess. What's been happening, and why you guys are still invigorated to release new stuff currently? What keeps you guys going? I've not personally been going for some while now but um since uh our dear 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 lovely friend Stuart departed this earth uh the band was in a bit of a sort of turmoil as to what to do and how to progress and um for me uh my sort of career with the band finished in about 2012 uh after we sort of had a, a sort of mini comeback <clears throat> um utilizing a different thing in order to do some performances and uh but 2012, I was sort of entering a phase of quite ill health, 
which mm-hmm. kind of really determined my near future, which is basically just stopping. But uh, it was just, it was something I had to do for myself. And it was, you know, it was a bit of a wrench because, you know, the band has been, you know, all three of us, it's, it's been our life. The band is very unique for us because it was, it wasn't so much a, a rock and roll band. It was a band of great minds coming together and, and putting together great music. And that's what we sort of <clears throat> fashioned ourselves on. It wasn't about being the cult of celebrity or anything like that. It was just being a, a really, really good band. And our performances certainly sort of portrayed that. But there, ha- you know, there comes a time when you've got to, you know, sort of look at your life and see what goes on. So in 2012, I had to, I had to bail out because of all sorts of medical issues. But the guys have carried on uh, doing their stuff, and uh, it's it's kind of strange not being involved in it. But I know why I'm not involved with it, so I'm comfortable with it. And Mark, well, just tying up from where Bruce was, was talking about how it got together. Me and Tony were working together as a rhythm section, obviously with the band on the air with Simon Townsend. And that led us to um, working with Pete. And, um, and the great coincidence was, although we'd already had a small tour with Stuart Adamson with the skids, with me and Tony's on the air, as Bruce said, we were at a, we were at a gig in Brockwell Park. <laughs> so, yeah, we were in the Pete Townsend band, me and Tony. Um, and in the audience was Ian Grant, who became Big Country's manager, who was looking after Stuart Adamson at the tail end of his career with the skids. Uh, Ian invited us to come and um, meet Bruce and uh, and Stuart. Um, basically, if we'd be interested in looking at his new project, the new band that was looking for a new rhythm section, which is what we did. Uh, we went down to the uh, record label and the guys and cut some demos, and it went from there. We were signed, and uh, it's been, as Tony said, uh, an incredible journey of of for me. Although I do a lot of session work. It's so original, this band. It's nothing like I've done before or, st- mm-hmm. or outside the band. It has a really amazing footprint that's uniquely big country. And I think the chemistry that me, Tony, Stuart and Bruce put together was something the godsend because it could be any lineup if you like. But when it when the chemistry is right, yeah. then the magic happens. And I really believe the magic happened between the four of us. And it's something I look, I'm always proud of um, and I continue to be proud of. It's a unique band with a unique sound. With, uh, with four incredible musicians coming together to create what we do. Awesome. And what you say is totally agree. The chemistry wasn't there. You guys wouldn't have had the success you've had and you wouldn't have had the longevity because there wouldn't have been that that magic, as you've said. I love me a CD. I've got yours, the CDs, uh, Big Country CDs in my collection, and I love the aesthetic of holding something the booklets, the thank yous, all those type of things. I'm not sure if you're aware that vinyl, CDs and cassettes, the physicals making a huge comeback. In fact, last year in the UK alone, there were the biggest sales of vinyl since 1990, 5.5 million copies of vinyl sold. But we also have these streaming platforms that are now consumers listen to music on. What is your perception of streaming and downloading compared to the physical world? Oh, for, for me, um I've always been physical. I still buy um, CDs. I don't actually have a, any vinyl at the moment. Um, I don't have a turntable. Um, cassettes, <laughs> cassettes are crap. They're only good for. They're really, they're only good for sitting in your car. You know, cassettes. Regarding all the, the streaming side of things, I've never streamed anything. I've never, I've never actually ever downloaded a piece of music in my life. 
or or not. I don't know. I just don't. It's not me, you know. I just prefer if I want to, you know, hear something. I'll go out and you know, I'll go to the record store and buy it, you know. But I, I don't know anything about streaming, so I'm not pro or anti. It's just I've never never done it, you know. Yes, Mark, your perception. I don't like it. I don't like the fact that you can't pick it up, you can't see it. I don't like this the invisible thing that happens, you know. Yeah. I like Bruce, I've never downloaded anything. I think what's happened is is trivialized music. Yes. It's made it too available, too instantly, instant gratification. You haven't got to go to the shops and buy it. There's no there's no kind of you know, the birth of making a new record is is excitement of the build up and all that stuff. Exactly. Where and the artwork as well, of course, you can pick something up and look at the artwork. We always looked at the album sleeves, and I'll be looking at the pictures to see what gear they used and, yeah. you know, whatever, you know, what the, all those things are, are missing with downloads. I mean, CDs are like second best for me. I did use cassettes, um, particularly when I was um, recording, uh, when we were writing re- and rehearsing together. I know I was relied on, with my cassette player next to the drum kit, I would record everything, <laughs> and now and again I'll be asked, like, what did we do an hour ago? You know, so I'd be rewinding the tape to see what ideas were there. <laughs> yeah. But they've been very sets. But, you know, recording on tape in the studio is better than recording digitally. Having tape is always good on recording, but I don't I don't like the tri- <laughs> instant downloads give you. It trivialises it and makes it chuck away. You can't even pick it up. And, Tony, your thoughts? Well, I can't do nothing but concur with my, my colleagues there. Uh, it's... Digital detaches people from the artist. Album sleeves and then CD sleeves, at least you gave gave you an insight into who the band were, what the band were like, what they looked like. You know, you, you've got some, all the information inside. And for the enthusiasts, which, you know, we were all enthusiasts at some stage, it was it was interesting reading. But it seems like people, are, they're not really interested in seeing who people are, what they do or what equipment they use anymore. And I think the immediacy of a download is, as, as Mark said, it's, it's instantly disposable. And there's no, there doesn't seem to be a longevity because as soon as you've downloaded, I have downloaded stuff in the past just to see what it's like, but <clears throat> because you haven't got something in your physical collection, I have got a great physical collection behind me of, yes. of things I can pick up and caress, but you can't do that with LPs. And uh, it's, it's to me, I try not to be too bombastic about it because it makes me sound old. And I know that I am, but I don't want to sound old. But I do think kids are missing out. And as like Mark said, I mean, I would stand outside Hammersmith Odeon when Genesis were playing just to see Mike Rutherford's flight case with his name on it. That was special to me. And it added to everything that the band did in their uh, in their music and, and their albums. Although I've not been very big on uh, the artwork side of stuff, you know, most of the big country album CDs, uh, the ideas come. I'm. I can't even draw a matchstick man, so I can, <laughs> I step aside and let let those who know what to do do. And you yes. know, the big company sleeves have kind of represented us in a way that you know could bring a connection to people. But downloading is not my thing. I think we're, we're kind of ripping fans off if we don't give them the whole package. Yeah, I'm just glad that this new CD that's coming out, which we're here to talk about, has got plenty of that. I also find that um, yeah. I've, I've been recording a lot of albums over the past few years um, with, with different people, and you always get the mix. You know, at the end of the day, the engineer will send me a mix, and it comes out as an MP3, and I've got to, you know, listen to it. And I always think, like, an MP3, I've got half of the, half, it's like half the music's missing, you know, and I'll 
phone the engineer up and say, you know, what's wrong with this? And he goes, that's how you left it. You know, it's exactly what you left it, you know, and it's like, well, it sounds crap. <laughs> and, I'll go back the, and I'll go back down the studio and it'll sound great. And it's MP3s, they just sound, they just do not sound right. You're losing, I, I find you're losing a lot of music, you know, and yep. a lot of subtleties that, that you, you spend a lot of time mixing in. You know, you get the MP3 sent to you and it's, they're gone. It's just, it's just horrible, you know, so I, I tend not to do it now, you know. Also, you can't roll jazz woodbines on CD sleeves. No, you. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a statistic that people that have collected vinyl, sixty percent don't own a record. A record, yeah. they just yeah. buy the vinyl artwork as well as you know having something to, to archive. I've heard that as well. Mm. So now let's go on to the new music and new album. Tell us more about it. What inspired it? All those type of things. Is this, uh, uh, is it driving to Damascus we're talking about, yes? Yes, correct. You guys would, would um, remember and appreciate that um, when we kind of first got it, I can't remember all the details. I've got to be really honest with my brain. Oh. I had to remember what I did yesterday. I started thinking about putting the album together. The main memory that comes back is us going to Nashville to do some demos for it, which was an unusual sort of situation because we, we we always tended to sort of routine and do lots of pre-production work in the south of England. So to go over to Nashville, because Stuart was living over there at the time, was uh, was a different sort of thing. And it's it's it was a bit bittersweet kind of uh, episode for me because I, I'm not a great sort of country western fan. The atmosphere of Nashville didn't really suit me, and uh, and I had a particular incident which really effed me off. <laughs> I got arrested for so for, for apparently um, holding up a gas station. What? Yeah. So. Oh my uh, god. Yeah. So uh, and I was I was sitting in a in a diner watching a game on a Sunday afternoon, and then um, anyway, long story short, when I when the police released me back into the diner, uh, a guy the guy who ran it came up to me obviously to check and see if I was okay, and he produced a copy of the local paper which was the Tennessean and I had a picture of a black guy with a black hat so if anybody knows me they know that I'm a black guy and I always wear a black hat and uh, that really kind of put me off yeah, so, uh, yeah we're, we're really sorry about that Tony we didn't mean to um, we didn't mean to dob, dob, dob you in you know just... <laughs> <laughs> I got away with it you know that, that old period did spawn a lot of music and um, I think it was a lot of the music which is now represented on this this collection, I don't. I, I'm not sure whether half of it's been released yet or not. But it just shows you how much work actually went on to putting the final vinyl at the end of the day for the album. So it's nice that there's a lot of material there that a lot of a lot of people may not have heard, which was part of the building of driving to to Damascus for that album. We did do. A lot, of, a lot of demos. Probably more demos were done on that album than any other previous album, I think. Um, and as Tony said, there was a lot of a lot of travelling over to Nashville and then back. And <laughs> I mean, I had loads at that time. It was dat dat cassettes. Um, I, I had. I, I seem to remember having a lot of dats and a lot of songs that were probably done like duplicates, but different versions. 
Um, you know, I was always a work in progress, just trying to get the songs right. But there was a hell of a lot of a lot of music that we'd done to get that album to there, so that there will be a lot of extra tracks and bonus tracks and rarities that will be on that on, on this version, hopefully. Mark, anything to add? It, it was Rafe McKenna, that's right, who produced it. Is that, that's that's correct. correct. Yeah, I'd, yes. be, I'd, I'd done an album with Progal Harum because I was doing session work with other bands, and I, I, Rafe produced a good album with them, and I thought it would be a great producer for us. So I put him forward for the project, uh, which he made a great production on. Um, I think I seem to remember being in, you can correct me here, guys, I seem to remember being on Mono Valley for doing the recording. Mono Valley. Was it Rockfield? I can't remember now. Mono Valley was the pre-production and Rockfield was the, the, the album. So we did go to both studios. Yeah. Yeah, they were classic studios, Barrett, where uh, Queen Bohemian Rhapsody was recorded. We were in the yep. same studios as records were made in, in a really brilliant situation. You know, a place where you can just – it's an in-house studio where you've got accommodation – uh, so the band can really be a tight unit together. There's no distractions, you know, you can't go anywhere. It's, it's a great sounding record. Um, I enjoyed the process of making it. I, I, I enjoy going to Nashville. Uh, I like it over there. But um, I didn't have the unfortunate incident Tony did. Yes. And I think the songs were quite brave for us because we were very, in a way, there was a lot, you know, we were damned if we did, we were damned if we didn't. We stayed the same. Uh, you know, we were told we weren't moving forward and we weren't progressing. And if we made any change at all to our musical direction, which most bands do grow with your, with what you've done before you build on and you, you without even realizing you're evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, the songs are quite daring, I thought, for us because uh, the writing was a little bit in a different direction to the first three albums. You guys mentioned about performing live. So what keeps you guys getting back on the stage and getting out there and doing your thing? What, what's that motivation? Mark, you first. Oh, well, you know, I would, I love playing the drums um, and I need to play. I'm like somebody that needs to run, you know, I need to keep active. And, yeah. um, I, you know, it's a band that I, it's been my, my entire adult life and I love playing the music. I love what we do. I love playing the songs. Yeah, it's something that's been my, my world and I love doing it. And I love the fact that, you know, we're keeping the music alive there. There's people that, a new generation are coming to listen to us that you know we would never normally see. We got from the people our age to their children, and yeah. you know it goes on to a new generation. And it's it's great being able to deliver those songs to the level that we still are able to do that and get the reaction we do. And it's something I love doing. You know, playing live is 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 great for the soul, and I do that. And, and this band's great to do that with Bruce for you. Yeah, kind of, kind of like what Mark said, you know, I need to play, but <clears throat> the, the, the way I see it as well, I believe the the songs, the songs of the stars, you know, and people that are fans of big country just want to hear, they want to hear those songs, and the way we do it, we, we go out, we, we, we play the songs pretty much as they were, you know, and the, the songs still have to be heard. Yeah. And like I say, there's new generations coming around all the time that are that are picking up on that. So, you know, it's, it's, again, I mean, I, I've started the band with, with Stuart back in 1981 when I was a, a nipper, a young lad, and, and it has been a, like the biggest thing in my life. Um, so at the moment, I'm continuing to do it, and I, I still enjoy doing it. Um, my head and my heart love it, but my body just does not like it. But 
and I'm the baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tony, are you still performing live or are you not performing at the moment? No. I, I, I'm not performing at all, okay. really, no. So, you know, I've I've had a bit of a battle over the past 10 years. Yes, yeah. I, I just had to put it out of my mind. It was something I passionately loved. Performing mm-hmm. live, it's, it's, it was the only thing I ever wanted to do. To find three like-minded people was just a, a godsend, possibly the best thing to ever happen to me, apart from my children. And, uh, you know, live performance for Big Country, you know, they go hand in hand. And, you know, the songs, as Bruce said, are the stars. You know, it's the songs that people come to see. They come to see the band to play it. And we enjoy it. They enjoy us, blah, blah, blah. And the whole thing just works. My problem is the perpetuation of that. I just, I couldn't do it. I was... I was in a physical mess and uh, I just, I had to make a real hard decision to sort of, okay, you know, I've got to, this isn't going to be my life anymore, but um, I'm still happy that what I was involved with was very unique in terms of British rock bands. I will always say that Big Country was, is one of the best British bands, you know, over the last 40, 50 years. And that, and that's running alongside, you know, that the standard, the stalwarts of the Who and Zeppelin and all that. My image of the band was definitely up there. It's a shame that I personally got into the situation that I did, and and it wasn't any fault of my own. But uh, you know, and it's just something I've had to switch off from, which was yeah. it's been very difficult at times. You know, because uh, I mean, I'm forever being bombarded with stuff from people. Oh, Tony, why don't you get back in the band? Or uh, you know, that kind of vibe. Yes. And it, it does get a bit frustrating, but I've got to realise that I'm I am a human being as well. And yeah. you know, if, if I was able to do it in a way that I felt comfortable, I would. But I just know I, I can't. You know, Bruce was, was the youngster of the band, and he's complaining about his body falling apart. <laughs> Mine's being held together by sellotape at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very proud of the fact that you know we've got an, a good sort of canon of material out there. Uh, you know, videos and other such like things. My children grew up with the band and now I've got to face the sort of the future of our grandchildren getting to know the band. But for Christ's sake, I'll be, you know, if I'm dilapidated now, by the time they actually get to grips with what the band did, I, I, I'll probably look like Colonel Sanders on a bad day. <laughs> so, uh, I just, <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's... It's, it's the by Butler. <laughs> I had a big, big bushy grey beard until last weekend, which I had to shave off. But um, you know, the kids will see what the band were like through videos, and uh, you know, we've we've made a lot of great live videos, and and that'll always be there. The yes. guys are still doing it now; they're getting a flavour of it. But there will be a time when you know, even my two pals here won't be able to do it. You know, I I saw Phil Collins recently, Mark. I mean. Yeah. Shame, you know. His, heard that, his, yeah. He's crashed. You know, he's a he's a brilliant drummer, but all of a sudden, you know, his body's not allowing him to drum, and you know, we are being it's yeah. been taken away from time us. Why? I, yeah, time catches up, which is why for me it's important that I stay active because it's a very physical thing, drumming, and I think it's a double-edged sword. You need to be able to stay fit to drum, and the drumming keeps you fit. So yeah. they kind of go hand. And I've always said as well, without trivialising it, for me, it's a paid hobby. <clears throat> Because I would still, if I had a, you know, what, what we would call a proper job, I would still probably want to play in a local band somewhere, I don't know, with some friends <laughs> in the evening when I come back from work. So I enjoy it as a hobby, 
just by the near, mere nature of drumming in itself. I see the drumming keeps me keeps me healthy as well. It's like my yardstick for my health, <laughs> and I, I it's one of those things that if I can still drum, I can I'm still healthy. So yes, podcasters listen to throughout the world. But as a final message to the listening audience, what would you guys like to say? Starting off with you, Bruce. Just uh, keep an open mind and. You know, if, if you think it's good, then it must be good. So just, you know, just keep keep listening. Tony, your <laughs> message. My message is that driving to Damascus didn't get a fair hearing for various <laughs> reasons, including the debacle with the single in Britain of Fragile Thing. For where the band was, were at the time, I think it was a real kind of conscious move to move into a slightly different direction, mm-hmm. but still, you you know, utilising the talents and imagination of the band as it was. And as Mark referred to earlier on, the the slight production direction that it took us in, the songs on the actual album as well, let alone all the extra bits. Uh, To me, the actual track, Driving to Damascus, could have been a really big anthem. It's an anthemic tune, you know, and if anybody hasn't really listened to the track, well, put your ears on right from the beginning because there's a great sounding motor car at the beginning of it. Okay. Which is a Capri, yeah. But there's a lot of great stuff on there. And, uh, you know, I think if anybody wanted to get a flavour of big country maturing, this is the album to invest in. Mark, for you, your final message? I second both what Bruce and, and, and Tony said. I mean, just to add to that, it's, you know, the chemistry was the unique golden chemistry with me, Tony, Bruce and Stuart. Playing live, we'll, you know, we, we will celebrate our anniversaries of, of, of the albums. Uh, you know, we're doing The Crossing at the moment, and no doubt we'll be celebrating Driving to Damascus. It is a great record. I'm very proud of everything we've done. Every single album mm-hmm. is like a snapshot of where we were in time. And, and what the, the, the public don't see is how we got there and why we're doing what we do. Yeah. And we're evolving. That applies for me with live as well at the moment, you know, it's, it's not the same, but it's the same, but it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, we, you know, those who say, well, we, you know, we wouldn't see the band. It's the nearest you'll get to hearing it. We can't get Stuart back and the band's music will live on. And whilst there's, there's us that want to get that music out to a new audience. Yeah. Another reason we, we, we don't actually do um, like new material. Uh, we're, we're quite, quite happy playing our back catalog because that was the chemistry, that's the word that we keep coming back to, the chemistry was the four of us, you know, Tony, Mark, Stuart, myself, and that that's kind of, we don't do new material because th- that chemistry is obviously broken, you know? Yeah. So, but we're quite, but we're still quite happy to, to, to go out and um, explore the back catalogue because, I mean, that's what people want to, to hear anyway, you know? That's so true. I mean, when we've when we've done other new recordings, as much as it's great momentarily to have a little bit more publicity about launching something, ultimately people want to hear those big songs and the records that they grew up with. You know, it's nostalgic. They know where they were at a certain time. And I think our golden yeah. year with those albums were with the four of us. But that doesn't trivialise what we do live because, you know, yeah, we definitely. do. And, you know, so we we have a great lineup for that as well. But, the golden period was with, with the four members that we've, you know, with us, Stuart, Bruce and Tony. And as Bruce said, they're, they're those key albums and uh, they're, they're great records, every single one of them.